Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins, and it's great to have your company. I'll just start this week by saying thank you to Julie, who joined me as a Patreon sponsor this week. I really appreciate it, Julie. And you can sponsor me too by going to patreon.com forward slash Dan Mullins and help to keep the Camino podcast alive. This is a podcast about El Camino de Santiago, or the way of St. James. James was one of Christ's apostles, a humble fisherman who went on to be a disciple. The Camino is a pilgrimage walked by pilgrims. Once you step onto the path, you begin a unique journey. It may be that your journey begins at your front door, or your journey begins the moment you decided you were going to undertake the Camino. For me... It was stepping out of my front door in 2016 to walk the Camino to mark my 50th birthday. Most pilgrims head to the Spanish city of Santiago de Compostela, St. James under a field of stars, where St. James's remains are interred in a crypt beneath the city's cathedral. I walked into Santiago de Compostela on my 50th birthday. It was a coming of age in a number of ways. I'd discovered in the Camino something I truly loved, a freedom I'd never found before a place I felt truly alive and awake. And you just have a really good time with really good people. It's as simple as that. Pilgrims from all around the world, and you'll find yourself making friends from all four corners of the globe. And letting the long Spanish afternoon slip by as the sun makes its way to the horizon is one of the true joys in the world. You might wander the streets of the town you're staying in that night, perhaps collect a stamp or two for your credential. You might attend Mass. You might find a small museum or a local library. You might simply find a quiet spot to catch up on some valuable sleep taken from you the night before by a nearby snorer. Or you might spend the afternoon in one of the bars or cafes along the Camino where you'll find people you've walked with the hours, days or weeks before, making friends, listening and sharing stories, lessons and learning a thing or two about life. You'll enjoy pinchos, small selections of food served with your drinks. Or maybe you're like me and love your café con leche. Spain is magic. Walking in France is something like walking through the pages of a Tolkien novel. You can't believe the views, the vistas, the endless horizons spanning out before you as you make your way west, one step at a time. Anthony Bourdain said of Spain in his off-the-cuff TV series... Any reasonable, sentient person who looks at Spain, comes to Spain, eats in Spain, drinks in Spain, they're going to fall in love. Otherwise, there's something deeply wrong with you. (laughs) I couldn't agree more. My guest this week is a Canadian pilgrim who clearly has developed a long and deep love affair with Spain and the Camino. His name is Brad Batten. He's on the line from Kingston, Ontario. Welcome, pilgrim. Thank you, pilgrim. It's good to be here. Uh... It's, I, what can I say after that wonderful uh, opening you gave? I mean, I think you just covered it all. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was uh, sweet. That that really captures it. Um, yeah. Really, I appreciate being here, and I appreciate uh, the work you do, and you know, like the work that like Lee does at the Camino Cafe. It's yeah. all we're just walking along, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's there's an old saying: we're all just walking one one another home. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, as I said there in the intro, you're from Kingston, Ontario, home to the iconic Canadian band, The Tragically Hip. Now, The Tragically Hip and me is a love affair, and it's because of the Camino, right? 
So oh. I met three Canadian pilgrims on the Camino in 2016, Miles, Kevin, okay. and Dougie. Okay. And subsequently we kept in touch. In, in fact, I lost them. I, I, I couldn't find them on my final day. I came back to Australia. I didn't have their names, their numbers. I didn't have anything. I just had their first names. And I posted right. on Facebook, hey, does anyone know these three Canadian guys who were on the Camino? And I found them within 24 <laughs> hours. But it was Miles who wrote to me like a year later, and he just sent right. me a clipping. It was the lead singer of the band, Tragically Hip, Gord Downey, being honoured yeah. by the Canadian Assembly of First Nations. And the video shows him crying and right. the, the First Nations elder was placing a, a, a feather in his hat and they're crying. Right. And I'm thinking, I'm watching it, who is this guy? Why has Miles sent me this guy? There's a, there's a guy in the suit in the background. He's crying too. That's, I realised, Justin Trudeau, the Canadian Prime Minister. Right. So in this moment, I'm introduced to Gord Downey and the band The Tragically Hip and his work via The Secret Path, the story of a 12-year-old Ojibwe boy, Cheney Wenjack, who died from hunger and exposure trying to escape from a residential school where First Nations children were stolen from their families. It's just a wonderful, wonderful journey. He died, Gord, yeah. died from a brain tumour in 2017 and then, you wouldn't believe it, Brad, I discover Sarah Harmer, Blue Rodeo, Jim Cuddy, oh, Catherine oh, McClellan. Oh. Right? <laughs> so I discover... So you all this. So you just, you just found them in two two sixteen. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So Yay. all of a sudden, I'm I'm I just love this Canadian music scene. So when I saw that wow. you were from Kingston, Ontario, I was like, wow, that's 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 amazing. So there's my Canadian music lesson to start our chat this morning. So but it, now it, you know you, you know Leonard Cohen and Joni Mitchell. Yeah, yeah, of course, and Neil Young and 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 yeah, and of course uh, Katie Lang. Bruce. Bruce Coburn. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like, I, I just love it. I just love it. But let's start with a, a very simple question. Canadians okay. are like Australians, but perhaps a little gent- right. You're perhaps a little gentler. What yeah. is it about Canadians that makes them open and interested in pilgrimage? Oh, wow. Good question. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask a question, then I'll answer your question if you and I were on the Camino right now, walking and talking, where would we be? What section? Where would you like to be walking and talking? Oh, I know exactly where I'd like to be. Walking between okay. Tra- uh, Tree Costella and Samos. Okay, we're Th- there. Right? Through, okay. the, through, through the, the tunnel of the canopy. Okay, gotcha. Uh, why do Canadians, are they attracted pilgrimage? That's a really good question. I think Canadians in general are attracted to it, uh, adventure. Uh, we, we do have that, that quality in us. It's probably, probably built into the spirit of, uh, you know, moving across the country over 500 years. Um, geez, that's a really profound question. What is it in our hearts that goes on journey? Well, I think, I think journey is a part of our, our heart, regardless of being Canadian or to somebody on the planet. Uh, our our heart is wired is wired for journey and adventure, hmm. and uh, I, I think that's what it is. And the Canadian uh, probably the space of the land, a lot of space, a lot of openness, uh, a lot of different variations with the land: uh, mountains, plains, prairies, a lot of lakes. Uh, so we are privy to a lot of really special special outdoor you know, venues yeah. to go and play, to play and learn in. So uh, yeah, I know for us, 
for me, I mean, I spent a lot of time uh, in Northern Ontario canoeing, paddling, hiking. So that, uh, that, that call is uh, deeply, deeply rooted in, in most of us. What about you, Brad? Tell us a little bit about yourself. What about me? Okay. Uh, I'm uh, 63 years old right now. I'm a writer, author, poet. Uh, I've worked in environmental movement as well over the years. Um, I tend to lead a pretty kind of uh, quiet, simple life. I mean, I've really spent my time uh, writing and playing with words on the page. Uh, that's my real passion, uh, other than uh, you know talking about the Camino. <laughs> so what was it about the Camino that appealed to you? Well, I first stumbled on it uh, when I was 27, 28, 20, between 27 and 28. Uh, I, I really didn't know anything about it uh, until I read a, uh, a book review in a Toronto newspaper. I was living in Toronto at the time. I just read a book review about a book uh, called The Hug for the Apostle by uh, Laurie Dennett. And uh, she's a Canadian woman, Toronto, and uh, she had done the walk and I think probably 84, 85 and published a great book in 86. And I just saw the book review and uh, uh, you know, I was just a couple of paragraphs in and I knew I knew this was something I wanted to do. I, I just sort of I, right away, I just said, OK, I'm going to I'm going to do that uh, walk. I didn't know when I would do it. It took me another two years to get at it, but it just kind of hooked my heart and my feet and my soul uh, it had to do with the, the feeling of uh, the history of it being in Europe, the uh, religious spiritual aspect of it, even though I was sort of uh, unaware of the depth of it there. But I had been in Europe earlier and I'd been hiking around uh, France in 1983 uh, on the GR65, which is actually the Camino, but I didn't know that then. So I was in the, the Lapu- on the Lapui route, kind of hiking around there, and I kept bumping into the markers and the signs uh, for the for the French GR sixty sixty five, which was just a hiking route, but it had the Camino history in it. But at that point, it, that wasn't marked as the Camino, so I really didn't uh, know about it. But I was attracted to it uh, primarily for the the. The, the, the landscape I knew that I knew the landscape in that area of France was really delicious yeah was really sensuous and once I saw the article that she walked through France and then in Spain and knowing that territory I said yeah well I didn't now I'm going to walk that because now I can now now there's sort of a, a deeper reason to walk it and there's actually this crazy trail you know yeah, that yeah. winds that winds over to the west coast of Spain so I I just uh, I just said okay I'm, I'm gonna uh I'm going to walk that. And, uh, and I just, I waited two years to, to get on it. Um, uh, and of course, you know, there's, um, there's the inner Camino, you know, there's the inner Camino in us all in our hearts and souls that, uh, perhaps when it, uh, sees the outer Camino, hears about it, the, the two enter a relationship, you know, the inner and the outer enter a relationship go, okay, let's get that inner walking with the outer because uh, I'd been on a journey, you know, through my 20s, uh, um, sparked by uh, uh, the, the death of a friend when I was 19 years old. He was a really close best friend, a brother. And uh, that death, uh, you know, introduced me to a world of tragedy and grief, unlike I had known up and, you know, I hadn't yeah. really known that at all at that age. 
but that set me off on this uh, path that uh, I didn't know existed. Yeah. <laughs> and it, uh, it, you know, I wasn't raised uh, in any um, denomination. I was, you know, I was part of a Judeo-Christian background, but I wasn't raised in any particular denomination. And uh, but I found myself being attracted towards Catholicism, and I started. Uh, I started doing religious studies in university and kind of going down the the, the, the healthy rabbit hole yeah. of uh, of mysticism and meditation and contemplation and that that road uh, and especially through the writings of Thomas Merton and Thomas Keating and then Meister Eckhart that road kind of you know wraps up by seeing that book review and then going yes 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 wow. I mentioned in the introduction yeah. that on the Camino, you'll find yourself whiling away the afternoon talking to a stranger who in time may become a friend. But what is it about the Camino, Brad, do you think, that lends itself to us opening up to others, to sharing our stories with people we've just met? Huh, good question. Yeah. So you and I are walking from Triacastia to Samos. Yeah, I, I think, I think, well, no, I know, because <laughs> I've done it eight times. You know, we, we, come across on the Camino, we come across reality, capital R, reality. We enter the sacred space of reality. And we are away from all the the world of forms and names, you know, that we get wrapped up in in life. Uh, the, The concrete, the cars, the way we muscle through the world you know, with our great technologies on the Camino that's gone. And there's capital R sacred reality, right, right in our face. It's like we're face to face with uh, the, the God that we are not supposed to say the name of, like it says in the, the old Testament. Uh, so what's that reality, that reality, you know, utter vulnerability, uh, utter complexity, utter, utter intimacy uh, and beauty and terror, the whole thing's there. And so when we come across a Dan or a Brad or a, <laughs> or whoever, uh, we kind of enter a walking relationship. And walking has got that beautiful rhythm to it that, uh, you know, step by step, breath by breath, and it really kind of fine-tunes us and gets into us a nice alignment with, uh, let's say, with the universe and the earth, sky, clouds, one another, heart to heart, ear to ear, voice to voice, and vulnerability to vulnerability. And it's, it's safe. It's safe. It's sacred safe. Uh, and that lends itself to stories, and then we open up. Yeah. Uh, wow. And then Great. we start playing music. We, we, we start playing music together, yeah. right? We start yeah. singing, singing together. I, I think that's part of it. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned the eight Caminos. Have you always walked the same path, or have you done yeah. lots of different ones? Or you? Yeah. I've always done the Frances. I've always been attracted to that, uh, primarily because all the other routes – I, I, you know, they, they started popping up probably after 2005, maybe, maybe a few were sort of around, but the only one I really knew about was the Frances. I mean, in 89, that's all I knew about 93, 95, 
97, 2000. I don't, uh, uh, the Portuguese I started hearing about in 2009, actually in 2009, when I walked, I met a, a young woman who was also walking in France and she was Portuguese and she was telling me about how she was a part of a group opening up the Portuguese route. So that's when I started hearing, okay, there's other routes. I think the Norte was probably around in the early 2000s. But if I go by my credential, you know, on the back of the credential, it's got, it's got the roots on it. Yeah. Well, my early, my early credentials only had the Frances on it. And now, you know, on the back of the credential, all the roots are on it. So I guess we could probably go back to the credentials and see if we can, uh, you know, find when the other roots started cropping up. But yes, I've always done the Frances and I don't mind that that's what I've done. I like, I like, uh, I love the experience of, of, of seeing its evolution over the last 30 years. Yeah. I mean, it's changed, uh, you know, quite dramatically um the, the walk hasn't the walk is still a walk you still got to walk you still got to sweat you still got to deal with blisters you still got to deal with the elements but in terms of uh the amount of people i mean there's like just tons of people now you know 1989 and 93 and even 95 i'm gonna say between and i always did it in the summer so you know top season so to speak but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess you know maybe there was kind of twenty to thirty to forty people per section you know on the Camino and yeah. then up ahead the other twenty and behind if if that I mean most most um, villages didn't even have albergues then they were actually called refugios back then and uh, a refugio might just be uh, uh, a little house with a couple of rooms and a couple of beds and maybe a shower, sometimes a kitchen facility. Um, but back to the people. But now, now you know, there's like, I don't know, 200, 300 people at peak season between yeah. villages as they go. Yeah. So, so, so that has really changed. And that also, uh, that leads to more infrastructure. So uh, 89, 93, 95, it, it, it didn't change that much in those six years. Each time I went back, it was pretty much still the same albergue, the same refugio in the same towns, maybe one little new one. Uh, but usually it was just one place per town. And then a lot of the, a lot of the, the sort of middle towns, especially on the Meseta, the Meseta, you know, a lot of the places you go through didn't have anything. So Hotantis didn't have anything. Hornelios didn't have anything uh, official, you know. Yeah. I think uh, 89 or Hornelius, I slept on the, the church porch there uh, with some friends in a tent and a sleeping bag. We just pitched it there. Um, uh, but now there's the municipal there. So so the infrastructure has, 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 really, uh, has really changed uh, over the 30 years. Um, uh, and, and, you know, now, of course, it's marked much better. It wasn't marked as well. The Yellow Arrows had started in 89. I think they, I think uh, they probably started in 83, the story is. But I don't remember a lot of them. You know, it was kind of seat of your pants back then, yeah. uh, which was beautiful. I mean, you never you didn't know what was ahead, you know, which is which is the way it should be the first time. And obviously it is the first time. Um, so. Yeah, the biggest evolution is the amount of people, the attraction now. Uh, I'm going to say it's sort of the, the the hunger in our world now for um, for these kind of journeys. Yeah, these kind of journeys. 
Uh, and there's something, as you know, extraordinarily unique about the Camino. Uh, I, I, I haven't been able to put my finger on it. I know it has something to do with what I was speaking about earlier, vulnerability and stuff, and also the, the deep, deep, deep communion that is established, the, the communion amongst uh, strangers coming together, the communion of sharing meals together, of taking care of each other, of tending the blisters of each other, wondering where each other are, you know, waking people up, making sure they're getting asleep, making sure they're hydrated. Uh, the, the deep care that that happens there is is uh, it's quite unlike anything else I've done journey wise in the world, um, and I think it's because it's got that. 1200 year history yeah that has that has survived wars and plagues and kings and queens and revolutions and and that thing has stayed there right? you know, yeah it, it, it has stayed there and it's being knit by the fabric of humanity constantly walking it and and injecting uh, their sacred energy into it, uh, you know, speaking from the sacred through the sacred as the sacred. And uh, so this beautiful community flowers along the, yeah. along the Camino in, in a way that, um, well, it'd be great if it did that everywhere. And it probably does, but we're probably less aware of it than we are there. We kind of, you know, we kind of loosen up there, you know, that's like the camera or, we focus in to take one picture, but now we focus back and open that aperture, open that aperture, open that aperture, and we're on the, you know, the wide open meseta. Yeah, yeah, how wonderful. I remember a pilgrim telling me once that the most amazing thing about the Camino is it gives you another perspective. He says that he kind of looks at things differently now. It's true, isn't it? Yeah. Well, uh yeah, big time. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, I, I, well, my, my eyes now are just always Camino eyes in the sense I've never stopped walking the Camino since that first time, and I, and I also realized when I finished the first time that I'd always been walking the Camino. You know, it didn't just start when I was nineteen with my friend's death, and then off I go. It, you know, it, it, it starts. It's, I guess it starts with the first step. Yeah. Um, but but I've been walking it ever since. Yes, the eyes are changed. Uh, the heart rate is changed. How we breathe is changed. Uh, how we speak is changed. Uh, quite quite profoundly. Quite profoundly. So, how do you describe the Camino to people who ask about it? Wow. Um, I think I use. I, well, I know I use the words that I used early: vulnerability, intimacy, uh, complexity. Yeah. Uncertainty. I, I use those words, and I use those words deliberately because I know uh, from experience that quite often those are words that we struggle with. Well, we don't struggle with the words. We struggle with the experience. Um, uh, but I, I present it in such a way to assure somebody that, you know, you're, you'll get that there. And especially if it's somebody that's saying, you know, that's saying to me, oh, my life's so busy and I'm so stressed out and I'm so burnt out. And, uh, you know, well, you know, there's this beautiful thing over there in Spain, France. You can go, just go for a walk, you know. And I, I have to be honest, I don't know how many people I've, I've spoken to have actually uh, take, taken that task, task up. 
but I can tell one story. I mean, I, I was uh, watching your your lovely interview with with Lee, and uh, you're talking about you know the, the, your song and how how it's moved around and people are influenced by it. And uh, you know, I wrote I wrote a novel uh, back in the '90s called Journey Mine. It was published in 2001, and there's a it's a it's actually a, a, about uh, a young man traveling around the world, spreading his father's ashes. And uh, uh, as he travels, he actually he actually spends some time in Sydney there, Dan. Ah. <laughs> and yeah, so he travels around the world. He goes to New Zealand, he goes to Australia, he goes to Singapore, and he goes to Europe. And he ends up walking on the Camino. The book ends at Finisterre. Um, so I, I wrote this book in, uh, in the 90s. It came out in 2001. And in 2018, the last Camino I did, uh, I was walking one day... Uh, towards the end in towards uh, going into Arthua and uh, there's this man ahead of me walking along. He was kind of walking slowly. He was a little, a little heavy backpack and a little heavy, slow stride, but I saw a little Canadian flag. So I kind of ambled up beside him and said, hello. And he said, hello. And we started chatting as, as pilgrims do, as you and I are doing it right now and try Castilla de Samos. <laughs> and, uh, he, he uh, you know, asked me what I did and stuff, and I said I was a writer, and uh, I mentioned, uh, you know, I started, uh, well, I was telling stories first about the first Camino I did in 89 and stuff, and then, then actually, sorry, yeah, he didn't know I was a writer. Then he said, he, he recognized some of the stories, and he said to me, did you write a book? <laughs> and I went, uh, yeah. He goes, you know, I heard you give a radio interview couple of years ago or no well more than a couple of years ago back when the book came out 2001 and I went yeah that was me and he goes I'm here because of that book and you wow and I went I went I I started to tear up actually right because the book wasn't like didn't sell like hotcakes it wasn't a big bestseller or an Oprah book or anything uh but it found this one guy and this one guy found the Camino and this one guy and I found each other and he tells me this really sweet story of connectivity uh unexpected so yeah yeah i don't know where i was going with that oh, or why no. I wow, that's what that's amazing How, that's fantastic yeah. isn't it yeah i mean what are the chances what are yeah, the chances yeah 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 what a blessing what a, what blessing. a blessing indeed yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so so that's that's kind of what I I tell people about the Camino and I I'm very infectious about the Camino and all my friends are, you know, they're, they're exposed to my infectiousness around the Camino. They know how much I love it. Um, I have had a few f- uh, friends uh, join me from time to time, never to do the whole thing, but little parts of it. So that's been sweet uh, that they, they, they come they come over. Uh, uh, one of my friends came in 2009. He was just coming for two and a half weeks. It was for my 50th birthday. And it was really sweet. My, my best, my best friend. And, uh, and uh, he had to have his appendix out in Burgos. It oh. blew up. In, yeah, it blew up in Belorado. And uh, so we had to take him to Burgos and he was in the hospital for a week and then he went home. <laughs> but, but, but he did, he did join me and he put in the effort and it was very sweet and beautiful. What do you think the Camino is trying to tell us? Oh, slow down. <laughs> Slow down, my man, my woman, my friend, my brother, my sister. Yeah. Get still. Get still. 
breathe the silence. Just breathe that silence. Yeah, it's not something along those lines. Yeah. What did you learn about yourself on the Camino? Hmm. Well, each one's been a little different, and I've done it at different, well, obviously at different ages, because <laughs> that's sort of natural. Yeah. Uh, but as a young 30-year-old, the first time, I'll, I'll stick with the, f- the first time, 30, I was already pretty patient, but probably more patience. Um, and, 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 and I'll go back to the word slow, slowing down. Um, I, I have a, a mantra. I have a few mantras, but I have one mantra, go slow, be gentle, no shame. So, yeah, uh, go slow, be gentle. Yeah. Uh, I, I learned that about myself. Um, and I learned about simplicity. You know, you don't need a lot. You don't, you don't need a lot. Yeah, yeah, for for sure. And I think a lot of people learn that in there. Um, I I definitely uh, I I didn't have a lot to begin with, so it wasn't too easy to pare down. Uh, But I also, you know what? Ah, here's the big thing I learned about hospitality. Hospitality. Yeah, that's a big one. Hospitality is huge because you're uh, and especially in 89 because the hospitality was so um, uh, erratic, uh, you know, because each village, some villages had great places to stay, and uh, a lot didn't. Um, so, so hospitality, how how you're welcomed into somebody's home uh, uh, or not, um, and the but the importance, you know. So when you are welcomed with 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 open arms, especially on the Camino back then, it stands out. You remember it. You know, you give thanks, uh, and when you're not, you know, you sort of remember it too. Uh, I do have a I, I have a, a sweet story. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, because it's around house. It's around hospitality that just came to me now. Um, so this would be '89, and uh, I was with probably a group of about uh, twenty people at this point. Um, and uh, it was it was July the 25th, so it was Santiago's feast day, and it was very hot in the middle of July in uh, Spain, as you know. Uh, on the Meseta, and uh, we had come from Carrion de la Corn. I can't even say it. Carrion de la Corns to um, Calzada de la Cueva, uh-huh. and that's a that's a good long stretch, fourteen fifteen k of not much. Yeah, um, and and we came into Calzada de la Cueva, and we were going to stay there. Uh, we, well, we did stay there, we, but we had planned to stay there and we planned to have a, a feast for Santiago's feast day. And it was also one of uh, our companions' birthdays that day. Uh, so we arrived in town around uh, 1130, 12 o'clock. Uh, we looked around for the albergue refugio. We couldn't find, couldn't find it. And we asked a uh, uh, young man uh, if, you know, where it was. And, and he talked to his mother and somebody else. And then he took us back just down the street a little bit and he pointed us to this building and uh this little house and we kind of looked at it and we looked at him and we looked at it because the door was broken the the, the windows were broken glass inside there was nothing but dirt and broken glass on the floor uh there was just a little sink in a bathroom with a little bit of dripping water uh there was kind of a stove 
I mean, it was a beaten up place. And we kind of looked at him and he looked at us and we said, this is, this is the refugio. And he kind of said, uh, yeah, see. And clearly the message was don't stay here, you know, yeah. keep going. And we, we said, well, guess what? We're going to stay here. So we went in and we went to the only store. We bought some cleaning stuff. We cleaned that sucker up. We cleaned that place up. Uh, we, we cooked up a big fiesta. We put up a sheet and tent in the backyard to cover us from the sun. Uh, and we had a proper fiesta, great meal. While we were doing all this preparation, the young man and a couple of other kids and a couple of parents, they, they came down and sat on a bench across the street watching us. They thought we were crazy, that we were fixing this broken place up. <laughs> and, and, and we were doing it with joy. And then we were singing songs because some of us had uh, guitars and stuff. You would have loved it. You would have been yeah. You would you would have been grooving and jiving and having a dab of a lifetime, <laughs> um, and so they were watching us. As they were as they were watching us, it, it, it came to me and one of my friends. I, I we said we should do a play tonight. We should do some theater for this town. And he said, "Well, what's the, what's the, what's the play going to be?" And I said, "The play is going to be about two pilgrims walking the Camino, and it's going to show." all the different kinds of hospitalities, the hospitalities they receive. And so you'll go to one village, you get some good hospitality or another village, you get some poor, you know, on and on. The key is you show the exact same gratitude for each of the hospitalities, whether it's poor, good, bad, mediocre in between. So we put this play together and we went out at about eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night as the sun was going down and it was still pretty hot and we went through the town like troubadours, singing and, you know, calling people to come out of your homes into the center of the town and come on, come on down. We're going to put on a play for you. And the parents were allowing the kids to come out to the center square. They were, they were very suspect, like, what are these pilgrims doing? They're not even supposed to be here. You know, get out of here. Um, so we did the play. I was one of the pilgrims and my buddy uh, John was one of the pilgrims, too. And it was all mimed. You know, we did mime, except uh, we had somebody sort of narrating. And we did the play. We, we showed, you know, the different kinds of hospitality. And our gratitude was exactly the same, no matter what we received, whether we slept on a, gla- a bed of glass or a, or a beautiful bed with great she- sheets and mattresses and so forth. Yeah. Uh, so we did the play. It was a great, you know, it was a great hit, I'm going to say. Four years later... 1993, when I'm back on the Camino for the second time, I come to that village and I remember the village. I go out and in my head, I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to stay here. And I walk down and that place, that exact place was an albergue. Uh. All clean, all cleaned up, showers, furniture, beds, no broken windows, no broken doors. And that's still in Alberghi now. Uh, it's, it's been sort of, uh, I was in 2018, they've changed the door. It's sort of at the front. It's at a different place now, but it's still the same building. I didn't stay at that one. I stayed at the one next door. But um, yeah, so I'm not saying it was the play. <laughs> that Fantastic. Made them clean it up. Yeah, but that, but that, that was, that was kind of the Camino back then. Um, a lot of spontaneous, you know, sort of uproarious stuff can yeah. happen. Wow, what a great story. Hey, what, yeah. what do you find most difficult or challenging on the Camino? 
For me? Yeah. Um, geez. Huh. I, 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 I think, honestly, I don't really find anything challenging about it. I mean, sure, there's moments. Sometimes the wind, you know, oh, yeah. the winds in your yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say physically it's the physically it it can be the winds, but then you just sort of learn to lean into it and move with it. Uh, obviously, some emotional stuff can come up, but, it, but you know what's the most challenging? Yeah, I don't really have an answer for that because I, I I just found it so so bloody wondrous. I'm yeah. just so in love with. It. <laughs> well, I, I well I mean I. It, and I'm not saying that I haven't dealt with stuff while I'm on it, but now it seems so small yeah. to having finished it uh, eight times at different different stages of my life. Um, but yeah, sometimes it is sure a challenge to be with your thoughts. Uh, but I think I was aided. I had uh, sort of uh, not sort of I had uh, developed a meditation practice uh, my early twenties. I just happened to meet uh, a professor at university, introduced me to a monk that uh, introduced me to a Christian centering prayer. And that kind of took off. So I had a, I had a sort of a, a foundation, an inner science foundation, so to speak, uh, uh, to lean on. So I had learned, uh, you know, I'd learned to distinguish between what, 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 what are my thoughts and what are not my thoughts. And uh, so on the Camino, I really just sort of get into a walking rhythmic meditation yeah, uh, and stay and, and stay with that and kind of uh, cultivate that. So there's a really purposeful cultivation of that and allowing what arises in your mind to arise and not necessarily attach to it. Um, uh, only look at it for what it needs to be looked at for and, and learn from it and, and keep stepping along. So, so so the challenges are a little a little smaller that way uh, I, I think yeah but, well for me they anyways for me they for me they were yeah. yeah there's a great sense of satisfaction at the end of the day you've overcome that day the challenge of the Camino it's not always a smooth journey and it pretty much no. is the story of our lives too yeah it, yeah it can be very yeah. much a reflection of our daily lives so yeah do you draw on the strengths and lessons from the Camino often in your daily life? All all the time. I'm I'm always on the Camino. I mean, even from a even from a, a funny practical way. Whenever I go into an outdoor store, you know, I'm looking at the new tech gear and I'm looking at clothing, going, oh, yeah, yeah, that would be good. Oh, oh, socks. Oh, oh, those are perfect. Oh, hey, look, this is this yeah. is ten ounces lighter. <laughs> uh, so just 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 on that practical level, yes, for sure. Um, but even, but, but on an emotional, spiritual level, yeah, I'm on the Camino all the time. So, uh, uh, I, I even have a walk here in Kingston that I call the little Camino because the, the I stop in the cathedral on the way back and my, I do an 8k walk every day and the cathedral has a small chapel attached to it, which is called St. James, the chapel. And it's ah. got a little pilgrim, it's got a little pilgrim guy in the window. So I feel like I've had my little Camino here. And some of my friends here know about my little Camino and they even ask me, can I go for a walk with you on your little Camino? <laughs> so, so, so we go for a walk in the little Camino. So um, I'm, I'm walking every day. Uh, I'm, I'm living the Camino life every day from a, from a, a position of gratitude, uh, even hospitality, wonder. Uh, yeah, so. Tell us about arriving in Santiago. What's so special about that day? Oh, 
well, I've had different arrivals. Um, the, the, the first one was quite special, just just because it's the first one, and you know, and it's unknown. You don't, you know, I didn't know what it looked like, um, and uh, uh, I, and I was telling Lee actually that uh, back then when you arrived uh, when you arrived in Montegozo, you came up the hill there back in '89. The eucalyptus trees weren't on the right hand side. Because uh, now those trees are so tall, you when you get up the Mount Gozo, you you can't see the city. You, you know, you have to walk way out to the left. Yeah, to put those statues in. So back in '89, that was just a green hill. There was no the monument to the Pope in St. Francis wasn't there. The Albergi, the bottom of the hill, wasn't there. That road wasn't a road. It was just gravel. The trees weren't there. So, uh, and this is the way it was written about in the Middle Age, you know, literature. Uh, so you walk up and you saw the three spiraling towers of the cathedral. And that was that's how you knew you were there. You had five k to go, five kilometers to go to this thing you've been walking towards. For me, the first time I, I walked from uh, France, I'd done fourteen hundred kilometers or something. So three months of walking. So uh, I, you see it, 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 you know, it's pure elation. And also uh, back then, the tradition was that you walked the last five kilometers from Mount Gozo into the city barefoot. So uh, I took my boots off. We all took our boots off, and we walked barefoot down the uh, down the gravel road, and then to Santiago. And as you know, when you get into the old city, <clears throat> once you get down to the bottom there, you can't see the cathedral anymore. Yeah, and you, and you wind through the the streets, and you then you come down this, that the the Via Sacra, I guess it is, and then suddenly there it is on your side, and you look up, oh wow, there it is. But where you got to find the front door now, and then you go through the tunnel, and there's a guy there with the bagpipes. And you come around, and so that first time was, you know, pure relation. Uh, that the feeling of of all those kilometers in my feet, in my body, in my heart, in my soul, just welling up. Um, we did. We stood out front for a while, kind of basking in it, but we really wanted to go to go in. And back then, you could go in uh, with your backpack. There wasn't any of this uh, leave your backpack outside thing. And so we walked in with our backpacks and our bare feet, you know, all sweaty, you know, very, very hippie looking probably. <laughs> and, and also back then, uh, the, the, the column inside the door that you, you know, with the, the holes where you put your hand yeah. and then back your head, that, that was, you were allowed to touch it back then. Now you can't. Um, so we got to do that ritual. And so you really feel this uh, really elegant, beautiful uh, sense of completion Um that that you've uh, been moving toward you know there's a saying that first the journey to god then the journey in god so there's a feeling like you've been journeying to god to get to the cathedral and now you're in the cathedral now it's the journey in god now you sit in the sacred space in god you know as saint paul says in whom we live and move and have our being so so now you're sinking in to the to the to the beauty uh, of the cathedral and that time uh you know uh, we arrived for pilgrim mass so pilgrim mass is beginning uh then they swang the boat of tomato so the incense is flooding 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 the you know all of us and it wasn't too full because there wasn't a lot of pilgrims back then uh and then mass began so uh and they read out um our, our names back then as well and your starting point so there's a real sense of understated accomplishment because yeah that's the that's the way i say it because 
it's not like climbing Everest, but maybe it's like climbing the Everest of your heart, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's maybe, so maybe, great. Yeah. Maybe wow. it's like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The times were a little different because I knew kind of what to expect, but they were all still, uh, maybe, maybe the other times I probably stayed outside longer because I knew I was inside. So uh, I probably stayed out outside longer and kind of basked and, and and took took it and of course now over the years it, now it's it's busier now so there's more people in the square and the arrival has this uh, you know you're seeing tons of celebrations of people that you haven't other pilgrims who we haven't met but you're seeing the same energy you're seeing the same glint in their eyes that you have with your group right yeah the same the same sharings and they're probably telling the same stories yeah. Right? You know, so yeah, it's a great sense of celebration. What advice would you give someone thinking of doing the Camino? Other than saying go, I would say go. I would, I would say, uh, well, it's hard, eh? I would, you don't want, because hmm, you don't want to go with expectations. Expectations can get in the way. Uh, and I see, I've seen that, unfortunately, I've seen that happen with some pilgrims where they've come with expectations and then they're let down. Um, and then telling somebody don't have expectations, you know, that's a bit of an art. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not to have the expectations. Um, uh, I, I, would, I would say just, just go and allow yourself just to breathe. Just, just, just to be, because in a sense, just to be with our being, just to be is is, a, is like the highest form of prayer. Uh, you know, we're we're so, you know, caught up in time as a production, you know, as a as a means to something, as opposed to t- time out of time as ritual. So, I would say. Go there and breathe. Go there and breathe. And I might add and be surprised. <laughs> oh, wow. That's great advice. I, yeah. I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you, Brad. It's been a real delight. I'm going, oh. to, I'm going to finish by quoting Gord Downey. He said once, I'm interested in doing anything that teaches me something. Wow. Isn't that just about the perfect quote? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm interested yeah, in doing to... anything that teaches me something. Yeah, you always want to learn, yeah. Yeah, you always yeah. want to learn. And we've certainly learned a lot via your wisdom and insight in this conversation. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Um, yeah. The Camino teaches us plenty, I find. And it's not just on the path, but on the shared journey that we all collectively undertake and continue to walk together. Uh, in conversations like these. So, Brad, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate it. It's a, a great, yeah. great, great gift. Yeah. Great gift. Walk on, Pilgrim, and buen camino. <laughs> buen camino. You walk on too, brother. My guest this week was Brad Batten, a Canadian pilgrim who walked eight Caminos. Anthony Bourdain said of Spain in his off-the-cuff TV series, any reasonable sentient person who looks at Spain, comes to Spain, eats in Spain, drinks in Spain, they're going to fall in love. Otherwise, there's something deeply wrong with you.
Isn't that great? And the great Canadian musician and lead singer of the band, the tragically hip Gord Downey said, I'm interested in doing anything that teaches me something. I love that. And very special thank you to Julie, who joined me as a sponsor this week via Patreon. I really appreciate it, Julie. You can join me as a sponsor as well, if you like. Patreon.com forward slash Dan Mullins, helping to keep the podcast going. Thanks for your company this week and every week. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere